Well, good morning, everyone. <laughs> Welcome. Um, it's um, great to, to be here with you this morning. Um, it was a uh, it was a, a great day yesterday down in Toowoomba, um, watching Jake and Lauren um, commit to each other. Um, I felt quite ostracised at the reception um, because to uh, to make Jake and Lauren kiss at the reception, you, know, you normally chink the glasses. At the reception, you had to get up and sing a song to them, and uh, yeah, I can't sing, so it was yeah, it was quite a quite a great time. A lot of people doing these uh, ad hoc um, songs to to Jake and Lauren during the reception, so it was uh, it was quite amusing. I do have some photos here, um, but uh, unfortunately, I'm not an Apple person, so I couldn't get them on the screen for you this morning. So um, feel free, and there's also some cake up the back to to share later as well. Sorry, wedding cake from last night to share. But um, let's pray as we start this morning's message. Dearly Father, we just thank you for today that um, we can come here and enjoy the enjoy the rain, Lord. Um, but more importantly, that we can come and just be nourished by your word. That we can uh, just hear what you have to say this morning, and that um, your words or my words today, Lord, become your words. You know me, pray. Um, so today's message I've titled God's Sovereignty versus Our Humanity. Um, and I guess the whole book of Romans so far is building the case that regardless of how good we are, there's a time where we can't complete the law of the covenant or the covenant of law. But God's made a way that we can be right with him. So the old covenant was called the Mosaic Covenant that God gave to Moses and I guess where we move from looking at at how bad we are um, to how good it is that despite us as humans that God's made a way for us to be in a right relationship with him I guess salvation through Jesus Christ and um, as preparing this message I I came to something quite profound that chapter 9 follows chapter 8 and uh, and so in chapter 8 (laughs) We, uh, we get told that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Um, but yet we move into this chapter 9 where there's this different argument coming into it where from an Israelite's perspective, they were God's chosen people. They'd already received this, this unfailing love of God in the old covenant. And so this question around the legitimacy of, of God's people starts coming into play. And, and the question is, is, as God's chosen people, how could they reject the Saviour? They were set up to walk in this faith with Christ, and they haven't. And so the question comes out, well, who are God's chosen people? And so for us as Gentiles, I guess the, the thought of Christ's salvation works because we, we weren't the true heirs of God's original promise. The Israelites were God's chosen people. And when Paul wrote this letter, it was a letter to both Jews and Gentiles. And so we need to remember that Paul was also a Jew, so some of these arguments that he comes up with in, in this section is for himself as well. So in, in the passage, Paul has great sorrow because the Jews haven't accepted their adoption with Christ. It was theirs to be heirs, to be fellow fellow children of God with Jesus, to be God's bride. 
But they rejected the cornerstone of Christ Jesus and he became their stumbling block. So Paul asked the question, did God's plan go astray? And I guess from Paul, if you look at the whole of the Old Testament, you can see over and over again where God opens his heart, the people have a revelation, and then time goes on and then their hearts get hard and they they go back to their old selfish ways. And I guess in the Old Testament and up to this point, we get to start seeing who the true Jews are, where the true Jews are those who bring forth praise to God and that it's not about the natural descendant or physical circumcision. As Paul describes in this passage, they aren't the thing that matters most. But he starts to point out that not all descendants of Israel are Israelites in the sense that not all descendants of Abraham are children of Abraham. So the description Paul uses is that Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau, but God chose Jacob to be the true descendant for Jesus. And so Jacob was the second in line, but God made the choice that it should be the younger to carry on God's promise. So a few weeks ago, Michael talked about predestination and um, I'm not going to try and rehash that, that, that thought. If you want to want to hear about predestination, you can listen to, to Michael's sermon again from a few weeks ago. Um, but I guess the point I need to make there is that God knew us before we were born, like he knew Jacob and Esau, and, and he made a choice inside the womb that God wanted Jacob as, as his lineage, and, and that still works for us today that God knows us before we were born. He knows our hearts. So family heritage does not ensure salvation. Um, I guess the same anguish is felt by many Christian parents today. They're giving kids such a good start. They instill in them religious traditions. They go to church every Sunday. We read Bible stories. We pray together as families. We hope that our children's faith becomes their own. But at some point in their life, it either does or it doesn't. Ultimately, the children get a chance to either reject or accept faith. I used to think of it in terms of a dilution of holiness. And I guess I see it in my own family where my, um, my pop, he served tirelessly in the local church, in regional churches, and he really set up his, his family to walk in the faith. Yet... I look at my generation and there's only three out of 13 grandchildren that are still regularly attending church and have an active faith. And so being born into a Christian family doesn't ensure that you're going to walk in faith. And I heard the term once that, that, that really made it real to me that there's no grandparents in heaven. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. So at some point, everyone needs to take faith on as a direct relationship themselves with Jesus so that we can be adopted into God's family. And I guess this gives us a lot of hope for those who haven't had the right heritage, who have come out of broken relationships, who have come from a family that doesn't fit the mould. That regardless of, of our situation, the promise is there that God does choose us. And quite often in the Bible, he chooses outsiders to be drawn into his covenant. So today we look at Paul's explanation to this of God's sovereign mercy. 
and to overcome the previous direction that God had. But, but what is sovereignty? What, what does that mean? So when I think of sovereignty, I get reminded of a movie called The Terminal. Has anyone ever seen that movie, The Terminal? Have you boys seen? Jared, have you seen Terminal? Yeah, it's a little bit different to The Terminator. So in, in the movie The Terminal, it's a, it's a Tom Hanks movie. And uh, Tom is, uh, is from some tiny little country and he's flying into, into America. And mid-flight, his country has a military coup. And, uh, and so by the time he lands in America, the Americans don't recognise his country as being a sovereign country. So they don't recognise it as, as even existing. And so, uh, so he's left in limbo in this airport because they don't recognise his passport, they won't admit him into immigration. And, and so I guess it's the, the sovereignty of his country that, that gave him his identity. And, uh, and for us, um, the word sovereign means holding supreme, independent authority over a region or a state or a people. And so when we talk about the sovereignty of God, we acknowledge that he has absolute power over what he's created. And so our identity as humans is that we're subject to God and his supreme power. So when we talk about his, his supreme grace or supreme mercy, we're talking that this is a guy who has authority to have mercy over his creation. But who are eligible to be God's children? So the move towards God's mercy being the path to salvation and not completing the previous covenant about God, sorry, not completing the previous covenant is about God, not us. So the passage today brings this thought in, that to be God of that to be part of God's family is by God choosing us rather than us humans having the ability to be good enough to receive salvation and place as an adopted child of God. So we're eligible to be part of God's kingdom not because of who we are or what we've done but because of who God is and that he wants us in his family. So what's our response? There's two good examples of the response in the Gospel of Mark that, um, that we come across in, in the, the Bible study we're doing for discipleship classes. So if you've heard it, just bear with me. But um, I'm just going to read from, from Mark 10, 35 to 52. So there's, there's two groups of people. The first group is James and John, and the second person is a guy called Bartimaeus. So Jesus just... Pre- predicts his death so jesus is walking with his disciples they're on the way to jerusalem for for jesus to be killed and and just after jesus tells them for about the third time that i'm about to be killed i'm about to be handed over i'm going to rise again this is what james and john do then james and john the sons of zebedee come to him teacher they say we want you to do for us whatever we ask what do you want me to do for you he asked They replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink of the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I'm baptised with? We can, they answered. Jesus said, You will drink of the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I'm baptised with. But to sit at these right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they have been prepared. When the other ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, 
You know those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become the greatest among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Blind Bartimaeus receives his sight. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting on the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped him. Call him. Sorry, Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So these, both, both parties knew who Jesus was. They both knew that he was the son of God. He'd clearly explained that over and over again that I'm about to die. And yet... There's such a contrast in how they've come to Jesus. So Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, who after hearing the name of Jesus, shouted out, Son of David, have mercy on me. He had not been with Jesus, yet he recognised his royal heritage, his kingship. He knew he was a son of God. Jesus called him over and said, but on his way over, he didn't just walk over. He derobed himself. He took all of his earthly possessions off on, as he approached Jesus. And said, "What?" And Jesus asked, "What do you want?" His response: "I want to see." Jesus said, "Go, your faith has healed you." Immediately, he received sight and followed Jesus on the road. He approached God with nothing. He was humi- he was approached God with nothing in humility. He asked for healing, and he was able to have a relationship with Jesus. So I guess today we need to come to Jesus in humility, not what we can get from Jesus like James and John. We need to understand God's sovereignty and the absolute power that he's chosen us to be his children, not through birth but through his promise. And it's through mercy that we can enjoy his love and salvation. One day we can be in heaven with him and the pain of this world will just be a memory of the past. One of the quotes from, from Exploring God that we do, we are more sinful than we could ever realise, but we are more loved than we could ever dream. So what's your response? Are you going to be like James and John or like Bartimaeus?